Chapter 4, Section 2 of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lillis. Chapter 4, Section 2. And now, having endeavored to establish the strictness and to ascertain the essential character of true practical Christianity, let us investigate a little more in detail the practical system of the bulk of professed Christians among ourselves. Footnote. It will be remembered by the reader that it is not the object of this work to animadvert on the vices, defects, and erroneous opinions of the times, except so far as they are received into the prevailing religious system, or are tolerated by it, and are not thought sufficient to prevent a man from being esteemed on the whole a very tolerable Christian. End footnote. It was formerly remarked that the whole subject of religion was often viewed from such a distance as to be seen only in the gross. We now, it is to be feared, shall find too much cause for believing that they who approach a little nearer, and do discover in Christianity somewhat of a distinct form, yet come not close enough to discern her peculiar lineaments and confirmation. The writer must not be understood to mean that the several misconceptions which he shall have occasion to point out will generally be found to exist with anything like precision, much less that they are regularly digested into a system. Nor will it be expected that they all should meet in the same person, nor that they will not be found in different people and under different circumstances, variously blended, combined, and modified. It will be enough if we succeed in tracing out great and general outlines. The human countenance may well be described by its general characters, though infinitely varied by the peculiarities which belong to different individuals, and often by such shades and minutenesses of difference, as though abundantly obvious to our perceptions. It would exceed the power of definition to discriminate, or even of language to express." a very erroneous notion appears to prevail concerning the true nature of religion. Religion, agreeably to what has been already stated, the importance of the subject will excuse repetition, may be considered as the implantation of a vigorous and active principle. It is seated in the heart, where its authority is recognized as supreme, whence by degrees it expels whatever is opposed to it, and where it gradually brings all the affections and desires under its complete control and regulation. But though the heart be its special residence, it may be said to possess in a degree the ubiquity of its divine author. Every endeavor and pursuit must acknowledge its presence, and whatever does not, or will not, or cannot receive its sacred stamp, is to be condemned as inherently defective, and is to be at once abstained from or abandoned. It is like the principle of vitality which, animating and informing every part, lives throughout the whole of the human body, and communicates its kindly influence to the smallest and remotest fibers of the frame. But the notion of religion entertained by many among us seems altogether different. They begin indeed in submission to her clear prohibitions by fencing off from the field of human action a certain district which, though it in many parts bear fruits on what they cast a longing eye, they cannot but confess to be forbidden ground. They next assign to religion a portion, larger or smaller according to whatever may be their circumstances and views, in which, however, she is to possess merely a qualified jurisdiction, and having so done they conceive that without let or hindrance they have a right to range at will over the spacious remainder." Religion can claim only a stated proportion of their thoughts and time and fortune and influence. And of these, or perhaps of any of them, if they make her anything of a liberal allowance, she may well be satisfied. The rest is now their own to do what they will with. They have paid their tithes, say rather their composition, the demands of the church are satisfied, and they may be surely permitted to enjoy what she has left without molestation or interference. It is scarcely possible to state too strongly the mischief which results from this fundamental error. At the same time, its consequences are so natural and obvious that one would think it scarcely possible not to foresee that they must infallibly follow. The greatest part of human actions is considered as indifferent. If men are not chargeable with actual vices, and are decent in the discharge of their religious duties, if they do not stray into the forbidden ground, if they respect the rights of the conceded allotment, what more can be expected from them? 
instead of keeping at a distance from all sin in which alone consists our safety they will be apt not to care how near they approach what they conceive to be the boundary line if they have not actually passed it there is no harm done it is no trespass thus the free and active spirit of religion is quote, cribbed and hemmed in end quote. she is checked in her disposition to expand her territory and enlarge the circle of her influence she must keep to her prescribed confines and every attempt to extend them will be resisted as encroachment but this is not all since whatever can be gained from her allotment or whatever can be taken in from the forbidden ground will be so much of addition to that land of liberty where men may roam at large free from restraint or molestation they will of course be constantly and almost insensibly straightening and pressing upon the limits of the religious allotment on the one hand and on the other will be removing back a little farther and farther the fence which abridges them on the side of the forbidden ground if religion attempt for a time to defend her frontier she by degrees gives way the space she occupies diminishes till it be scarcely discernible whilst her spirit extinguished and her force destroyed she is little more than the nominal possessor even of the contracted limits to which she has been avowedly reduced this it is to be feared is but too faithful a representation of the general state of things amongst ourselves the promotion of the glory of god and the possession of his favour are no longer recognised as the objects of our highest regard and most strenuous endeavours as furnishing to us a vigorous habitual and universal principle of action we set up for ourselves we are become our own masters the sense of constant homage and continual service is irksome and galling to us and we rejoice in being emancipated from it as from a state of base and servile villainage thus the very tenure and condition by which life and all its possessions are held undergo a total change our faculties and powers are now our own whatever we have is regarded rather as a property than a trust or if there still exists the remembrance of some paramount claim we are satisfied with an occasional acknowledgment of a nominal right or if there still exists the remembrance of some paramount claim we are satisfied with an occasional acknowledgment of a nominal right we pay our peppercorn and take our estates to ourselves in full and free enjoyment hence it is that so little sense of responsibility seems attached to the possession of high rank or splendid abilities or affluent fortunes or other means or instruments of usefulness the instructive admonitions quote, give an account of thy stewardship end quote, quote, occupy till i come end quote, are forgotten or if it be acknowledged by some men of larger views than ordinary that a reference is to be had to some principle superior to that of our own gratification it is at best to the good of society or to the welfare of our families and even then the obligations resulting from these relations are seldom enforced on us by any higher sanctions than those of family comfort and of worldly interest or estimation besides what multitudes of persons are there people without families in private stations or of a retired turn to whom they are scarcely held to apply and what multitudes of cases to which it would be thought unnecessary scrupulosity to extend them accordingly we find in fact that the generality of mankind among the higher order in the formation of their schemes in the selection of their studies in the choice of their place of residence in the employment and distribution of their time in their thoughts conversation and amusements are considered as being at liberty if there be no actual vice to consult in the main their own gratification thus the generous and wakeful spirit of christian benevolence seeking and finding everywhere occasions for its exercise is exploded and a system of decent selfishness is avowedly established in its stead a system scarcely more to be abjured for its impiety than to be abhorred for its cold insensibility to the opportunities of diffusing happiness Quote, have we no families or are they provided for are we wealthy and bred to no profession are we young and lively and in the gaiety of vigour and youth surely we may be allowed to take our pleasure we neglect no duty we live in no vice we do nobody any harm and have a right to amuse ourselves we have nothing better to do we wish we had our time hangs heavy on our hands for want of it 
End quote. I pity the man who can travel from Dan to Beersheba and cry, It is all barren. No man has a right to be idle. Not to speak of that great work which we all have to accomplish, and surely the whole attention of a short and precarious life is not more than an eternal interest may well require. Where is it that in such a world as this health and leisure and affluence may not find some ignorance to instruct, some wrong to redress, some want to supply, some misery to alleviate? Shall ambition and avarice never sleep? Shall they never want objects on which to fasten? Shall they be so observant to discover, so acute to discern, so eager, so patient to pursue? And shall the benevolence of Christians want employment? Yet thus life rolls away with too many of us in a course of, quote, shapeless idleness, end quote. Its recreations constitute its chief business. Watering places, the sports of the fields, cards, never failing cards, the assembly, the theater, all contribute their aid. Amusements are multiplied and combined and varied, quote, to fill up the void of a listless and languid life, end quote. And by the judicious use of these different resources, there is often a kind of sober, settled plan of domestic dissipation, in which, with all the imaginable decency, year after year, wears away an unprofitable vacancy. Even old age finds us pacing in the same round of amusements which our early youth had tracked out. Meanwhile, being conscious that we are not giving into any flagrant vice, perhaps that we are guilty of no irregularity, and it may be that we are not neglecting the offices of religion, we persuade ourselves that we need not be uneasy. In the main, we do not fall below the general standard of morals of the class and station to which we belong. We may therefore allow ourselves to glide down the stream without apprehension of the consequences. Some, of a character often hardly to be distinguished from the class we have just been describing, take up with sensual pleasures. The chief happiness of their lives consists in one species or another of animal gratification, and these persons perhaps will be found to compose a pretty large description. It will be remembered that it belongs not to our purpose to speak of the grossly and scandalously profligate, who renounce all pretensions to the name of Christians, but of those who, maintaining a certain decency of character, and perhaps being tolerably observant of the forms of religion, may yet not be improperly termed sober sensualists. These, though less impetuous and more measured, are not less staunch and steady than the professed votaries of licentious pleasure in the pursuit of their favorite objects. Quote, mortify the flesh with its affections and lusts, end quote, is the Christian precept. A soft, luxurious course of habitual indulgence is the practice of the bulk of modern Christians, and that constant moderation, that wholesome discipline of restraint and self-denial, which are requisite to prevent the unperceived encroachments of inferior appetites, seem altogether disused as the exploded austerities of monkish superstition. Christianity calls her professors to a state of diligent watchfulness and active services. But the persons of whom we are now speaking, forgetting alike the duties they owe to themselves and to their fellow creatures, often act as though their condition were meant to be a state of uniform indulgence and vacant, unprofitable sloth. To multiply the comforts of affluence, to provide for the gratification of the appetite, to be luxurious without diseases, and indolent without lassitude, seems the chief study of their lives. Nor can they be clearly exempted from this class who, by a common error, substituting the means for the end, make the preservation of health and spirits, not as instruments of usefulness, but as sources of pleasure, their great business and continual care. Others, again, seem more to attach themselves to what have been well termed the pomps and vanities of this world. Magnificent houses, grand equipages, numerous retinues, splendid entertainments, high and fashionable connections appear to constitute, in their estimation, the supreme happiness of life. This class, too, if we mistake not, will be found numerous in our days, for it must be considered that it is the heart set on these things which constitutes the essential character. It often happens that persons to whose rank and station these indulgences most properly belong are most indifferent to them. 
the undue solicitude about them is more visible in persons of inferior conditions and smaller fortunes in whom it is not rarely detected by the studious contrivances of a misapplied ingenuity to reconcile parade with economy and glitter at a cheap rate but this temper of display and competition is a direct contrast to the lowly modest unassuming carriage of the true christian and wherever there is an evident effort and struggle to excel in the particulars here in question a manifest wish thus to rival superiors to outstrip equals to dazzle inferiors it is manifest the great end of life and of all its possessions is too little kept in view and it is to be feared that the gratification of a vain ostentatious humour is the predominant disposition of the heart as there is a sober sensuality so there is a sober avarice and a sober ambition the commercial and the professional world compose the chief sphere of their influence they are often recognized and openly avowed as just master principles of action but where this is not the case they assume such plausible shapes are called such specious names and urge such powerful pleas that they are received with cordiality and suffered to gather strength without suspicion the seducing considerations of diligence in our callings of success in our profession of making handsome provisions for our children beguile our better judgments quote, we rise early and late take rest and eat the bread of carefulness end quote in our few intervals of leisure our exhausted spirits require refreshment the serious concerns of our immortal souls are matters of speculation too grave and gloomy to answer the purpose and we fly to something that may better deserve the name of relaxation till we are again summoned to the daily labours of our employment meanwhile religion seldom comes in our way scarcely occurs to our thoughts and when some secret misgivings begin to be felt on this head company soon drowns amusements dissipate or habitual occupations insensibly displace or smother the rising apprehension professional and commercial men perhaps especially when they happen to be persons of more than ordinary reflection or of early habits of piety not quite worn away easily quiet their consciences by the plea that necessary attention to their business leaves them no time to think on these serious subjects at present men of leisure they confess should consider them they themselves will do it hereafter when they retire meanwhile they are usefully or at least innocently employed thus business and pleasure fill up our time and the quote, one thing needful end quote, is forgotten respected by others and secretly applauding ourselves perhaps congratulating ourselves that we are not like such a one who is a spendthrift or a mere man of pleasure or such another who is a notorious miser the true principle of action is no less wanting in us and personal advancement or the acquisition of wealth is the object of our supreme desires and predominant pursuit it would be to presume too much on the reader's patience to attempt a delineation of the characters of the politician the metaphysician the scholar the poet the virtuoso the men of taste in all their varieties of these and many other classes which might be enumerated suffice it to remark and to appeal to every man's own experience for the truth of the observation that they in like manner are often completely engrossed by the objects of their several pursuits in many of these cases indeed a generous spirit surrenders itself wholly up with the less reserve and continues absorbed with the fuller confidence from the consciousness of not being led to its object by self-interested motives here therefore these men are ardent active laborious persevering and they think and speak and act as those the whole happiness of whose life turns on the success or failure of their endeavours when such as we have seen it is the undisturbed composure of mere triflers it is less wonderful that the votaries of learning and of taste when absorbed in their several pursuits should be able to check still more easily any growing apprehension silencing it by the suggestion that they are more than harmlessly that they are meritoriously employed Quote, surely the thanks of mankind are justly paid to those more refined spirits who superior alike to the seductions of ease and the temptations of avarice devote their time and talents to the less gainful labours of increasing the stores of learning or enlarging the boundaries of science 
who are engaged in raising the character and condition of society by improving the liberal arts and adding to the innocent pleasures or elegant accomplishments of life let not the writer be so far misunderstood as to be supposed to insinuate that religion is an enemy to the pursuits of taste much less to those of learning and of science let these have their due place in the estimation of mankind but this must not be the highest place let them know their just subordination they deserve not to be the primary concern for there is another to which in importance they bear no more proportion than our span of existence to eternity thus the supreme desires of the heart the centre to which they should tend losing its attractive force are permitted without control to take that course whatever it may be which best suits our natural temper or to which they are impelled by our various situations and circumstances sometimes they manifestly appear to be almost entirely confined to a single track but perhaps more frequently the lines in which they move are so intermingled and diversified that it becomes not a little difficult even when we look into ourselves to ascertain the object by which they are chiefly attracted or to estimate with precision the amount of their several forces in the different directions which they move know thyself is in truth an injunction with which the careless and the indolent cannot comply for this compliance it is requisite in obedience to the scripture precept quote, to keep the heart with all diligence end quote mankind are in general deplorably ignorant of their true state and there are few perhaps who have any adequate conception of the real strength of the ties by which they are bound to the several objects of their attachment or who are aware how small a share of their regard is possessed by those concerns on which it ought to be supremely fixed but if it be indeed true that except the affections of the soul be supremely fixed on god that unless it be the leading and governing desire and primary pursuit to possess his favour and promote his glory we are considered as having transferred our fealty to a usurper and as being in fact revolters from our lawful sovereign if this be indeed the scripture doctrine all the several attachments which have been lately enumerated of the different classes of society wherever they interest the affections and possess the soul in any such measure of strength as deserves to be called predominance are but so many varied expressions of disloyalty god requires to set up his throne in the heart and to reign in it without a rival if he be kept out of his right it matters not by what competitor the revolt may be more avowed or more secret it may be the treason of deliberate preference or of inconsiderate levity we may be the subjects of a more or of a less credible master we may be employed in services more gross or more refined but whether the slaves of avarice of sensuality of dissipation of sloth or the votaries of ambition of taste or of fashion whether supremely governed by vanity and self-love by the desire of literary fame or of military glory we are alike estranged from the dominion of our rightful sovereign let not this seem a harsh position it can appear so only from not adverting to what was shown to be the essential nature of true religion he who bowed the knee to the god of medicine or of eloquence was no less an idolater than the worshipper of the deified patrons of lewdness or of theft in the several cases which have been specified the external acts indeed are different but in principle the disaffection is the same and unless we return to our allegiance we must expect the title and prepare to meet the punishment of rebels on that tremendous day when all false colours shall be done away and there being no longer any room for the evasions of worldly sophistry or the smooth plausibilities of worldly language Quote, that which is often highly esteemed amongst men shall appear to have been an abomination in the sight of god End quote. these fundamental truths seem vanished from the mind and it follows of course that every thing is viewed less and less through a religious medium to speak no longer of the instances wherein we ourselves are concerned and wherein the unconquerable power of indulged appetite may be supposed to beguile our better judgment or force us on in defiance of it 
not to insist on the motives by which the conduct of men is determined often avowedly in what are to themselves the most important incidents of life what are the judgments which they form in the case of others idleness profusion thoughtlessness and dissipation the misapplication of time and talents the trifling away of life in frivolous occupations or unprofitable studies all these things we may regret in those around us in the view of their temporal effects but they are not considered in a religious connection or lamented as endangering everlasting happiness excessive vanity and inordinate ambition are spoken of as weaknesses rather than as sins even covetousness itself though a hateful passion yet if not extreme scarcely presents the face of irreligion is some friend or even some common acquaintance sick or has some accident befallen him how solicitously do we inquire after him how tenderly do we visit him how much perhaps do we regret that he has not better advice how apt are we to prescribe for him and how should we reproach ourselves if we were to neglect any means in our power of contributing to his recovery but quote, the mind diseased end quote, is neglected and forgotten quote, that is not our affair we hope we do not perhaps really believe that here it is well with him end quote. the truth is we have no solicitude about his spiritual interest here he is treated like the unfortunate traveller in the gospel we look upon him we see but too well his sad condition but priest and levite alike we pass by on the other side and leave him to the officious tenderness of some poor despised samaritan nay take the case of our very children when our hearts being most interested to promote their happiness we must be supposed most desirous of determining on right principles and where therefore the real standard of our deliberate judgments may be indisputably ascertained in their education and marriage in the choice of their professions in our comparative consideration and judgment of the different parts of their several characters how little do we reflect that they are immortal beings health learning credit the amiable and agreeable qualities above all fortune and success in life are taken and not unjustly taken into account but how small a share in forming our opinions is allowed the probable effect which may be produced on their eternal interests indeed the subjects of our mutual inquiries and congratulations and condolences prove but too plainly what considerations are in these cases uppermost in our thoughts such are the fatal and widely spreading effects which but too naturally follow from the admission of the grand fundamental error before mentioned that of not considering religion as a principle of universal application and command robbed of its best energies religion now takes the form of a cold compilation of restraints and prohibitions it is looked upon simply as a set of penal statuses these though wise and reasonable are however so far as they extend abridgments of our natural liberty and nothing which comes to us in this shape is extremely acceptable atki nolint occidere quemquam posse volunt considering moreover that the matter of them is not in general very palatable and that the partiality of every man where his own cause is in question will be likely to make him construe them liberally in his own favour we might beforehand have formed a tolerable judgment of the manner in which they are actually treated sometimes we attend to the words rather than to the spirit of scripture injunctions overlooking the principle they involved which a better acquaintance with the word of god would have clearly taught us to infer from them at others quote, the spirit of an injunction is all end quote, and this we contrive to collect so dexterously as thereby to relax or annul the strictness of the terms quote, whatever is not expressly forbidden cannot be very criminal whatever is not positively enjoined cannot be indispensably necessary if we do not offend against the laws what more can be expected from us the persons to whom the strict precepts of the gospel were given were in very different circumstances from those in which we are placed the injunctions were drawn rather tighter than is quite necessary in order to allow for a little relaxation in practice the expressions of the sacred writers are figurative the eastern style is confessedly hyperbolical End quote. by these and other such dishonest shifts 
by which however we seldom deceive ourselves except it be in thinking that we deceive others the pure but strong morality of the word of god is explained away and its too rigid canons are softened down with as much dexterity as is exhibited by those who practice a logic of the same complexion in order to escape from the obligations of human statuses like swift's unfortunate brothers footnote see tale of a tub end footnote we are sometimes put to difficulties but our ingenuity is little inferior to theirs if totidem verbis will not serve our turn try totidem syllabis if totidem syllabis fail try totidem litaris then there is in our case as well as in theirs quote, an allegorical sense end quote, to be averted to and if every other resource fail us we come at last to the same conclusions as the brothers adopted that after all these rigorous clauses require some allowance and a favourable interpretation and ought to be understood quote, cum grano salis end quote. but when the law both in its spirit and its letter is obstinate and incorrigible what we cannot bend to our purpose we must break quote, our sins we hope are of the smaller order a little harmless gallantry a little innocent jollity a few foolish expletives which we use from the mere force of habit meaning nothing by them a little warmth of colouring and a licence of expression a few freedoms of speech in the gaiety of our hearts which though not perhaps strictly correct none but the over-rigid would think of treating any otherwise than as venial infirmities and in which very grave and religious men will often take their share when they may throw off their state and relax without impropriety we serve an all-merciful being who knows the frailty of our nature the number and strength of our temptations and will not be extreme to mark what is done amiss even the less lenient judicatures of human institution concede somewhat to the weakness of man it is an established maxim quote, de minimis non curat lex end quote. we hope we are not worse than the generality all men are imperfect we own we have our infirmities we confess it is so we wish we were better and trust as we grow older we shall become so we are ready to acknowledge that we must be indebted for our admission into a future state of happiness not to our own merit but to the clemency of god and the mercy of our redeemer end quote but let not this language be mistaken for that of true christian humiliation of which it is the very essence to feel the burden of sin and to long to be released from it nor let two things be confounded than which none can be more fundamentally different the allowed want of universality in our determination and our endeavour to obey the will of god and the defective accomplishment of our purposes which even the best of men will too often find reason to deplore in the persons of whom we have now been speaking the unconcern with which they can amuse themselves upon the borders of sin and the easy familiarity with which they can actually dally with it in its less offensive shapes show plainly that distinctly from its consequences it is by no means the object of their aversion that there is no love of holiness as such no endeavour to acquire it no care to prepare the soul for the reception of this divine principle and to expel or keep under whatever might be likely to obstruct its entrance or dispute its sovereignty it is indeed a most lamentable consequence of the practice of regarding religion as a compilation of statuses and not as an internal principle that it soon comes to be considered as being conversant about external actions rather than about habits of mind this sentiment sometimes has even the hardiness to insinuate and maintain itself under the guise of extraordinary concern for practical religion but it soon discovers the falsehood of this pretension and betrays its real nature the expedient indeed of attaining to superiority in practice by not wasting any of the tension on the internal principles from which alone practice can flow is about as reasonable and will answer about as well as the economy of the architect who should account it mere prodigality to expend any of his materials in laying foundations from an idea that they might be more usefully applied to the raising of the superstructure we know what would be the fate of such an edifice it is indeed true and a truth never to be forgotten that all pretensions to internal principles of holiness are vain when they are contradicted by the conduct 
but it is no less true that only the effectual way of improving the latter is by a vigilant attention to the former it was therefore our blessed saviour's injunction quote, make the tree good end quote, as the necessary means of obtaining good fruit and the holy scriptures abound in admonitions to let it be our chief business to cultivate our hearts with all diligence to examine into their state with impartiality and watch over them with continual care indeed it is the heart which constitutes the man and external actions derive their whole character and meaning from the motives and dispositions of which they are the indications human judicatures it is true are chiefly conversant about the former but this is only because to our limited perceptions the latter can seldom be any otherwise clearly ascertained the real object of inquiry to human judicatures is the internal disposition it is to say that they adapt the nature and proportion the degree of their punishments yet though this be a truth so obvious so established that to have insisted on it may seem almost needless it is a truth of which we are apt to lose sight in the review of our religious character and with which the habit of considering religion as consisting rather in external actions than internal principles is at direct and open war this mode of judging may well be termed habitual for though by some persons it is advisedly adopted and openly avowed yet in many cases for want of due watchfulness it has stolen insensibly upon the mind it exists unsuspected and is practised like other habits without consciousness or observation in what degree soever this pernicious principle prevails in that degree is the mischief it produces the vicious affections like noxious weeds sprout up and increase themselves but too naturally while the graces of the christian temper exotics in the soil of the human heart like the more tender productions of the vegetable world though the light and breadth of heaven must quicken them require on our part also in order to their being preserved in health and vigour constant superintendence and assiduous care but so far from their being earnestly sought for or watchfully reared with unremitted prayers for that divine grace without which all our labours must be ineffectual such is the result of the principle we are here condemning that no endeavours are used for their attainment or are they suffered to droop and die almost without an effort to preserve them the culture of the mind is less and less attended to and at length perhaps is almost wholly neglected way being thus made for the unobstructed growth of other tempers the qualities of which are very different and often directly opposite these naturally overspread and quietly possess the mind their contrariety to the christian spirit not being discerned and even perhaps their presence being scarcely acknowledged except when their existence and their nature are manifested in the conduct by marks too plain to be overlooked or mistaken some of the most important branches of the christian temper wherein the bulk of nominal christians appear eminently and loudly defective have been already noticed in this and in the preceding chapter many others still remain to be particularized first then it is the comprehensive compendium of the character of true christians that quote, they are walking by faith and not by sight End quote. by this description is meant not merely that they so firmly believe in the doctrine of future rewards and punishments as to be influenced by that persuasion to adhere in the main to the path of duty though tempted to forsake it by present interest and present gratification but farther that the truths revealed in scripture concerning the unseen world are the ideas for the most part uppermost in their thoughts and about which habitually their hearts are the most interested this state of mind contributes if the expression may be allowed to rectify the illusions of vision to bring forward into nearer view those eternal things which from their remoteness are apt to be either wholly overlooked or to appear but faintly in the utmost bounds of the horizon and to remove backward and reduce to their true comparative dimensions the objects of the present life which are apt to fill the human eye assuming a false magnitude from their vicinity the true christian knows from experience however that the former are apt to fade from the sight and the latter again to swell on it he makes it therefore his continual care to preserve those just and enlightened views which through divine mercy he has obtained not that he will retire from that station in the world which providence seems to have appointed him to fill he will be active in the business of life and enjoy its comforts with moderation and thankfulness but he will not be quote, totus in ilis end quote. 
he will not give up his whole soul to them. They will be habitually subordinate in his estimation to objects of more importance. The awful truth has sunk deep into his mind, quote, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal, end quote. And in the tumult and bustle of life, he is sobered by the still small voice which whispers to him, quote, the fashion of this world passes away, end quote. This circumstance alone must, it is obvious, constitute a vast difference between the habitual temper of his mind and that of the generality of nominal Christians who are almost entirely taken up with the concerns of the present world. They know indeed that they are mortal, but they do not feel it. The truth rests in their understandings and cannot gain admission into their hearts. The speculative persuasion is altogether different from the strong practical impression of the infinite importance of eternal things, which, attended with a proportionate sense of the shortness and uncertainty of all below, while it prompts to activity from a conviction that, quote, the night cometh when no man can work, end quote, produces a certain firmness of texture which hardens us against the buffets of fortune, and prevents our being very deeply penetrated by the cares and interests, the goods or evils of this transitory state. Thus this just impression of the relative value of temporal and eternal things maintains in the soul a dignified composure through all the vicissitudes of life. It quickens our diligence, yet moderates our ardor, urges us to just pursuits, yet checks any undue solicitude about the success of them, and thereby enables us, in the language of Scripture, quote, to use this world as not abusing it, end quote, rendering us at once beneficial to others and comfortable to ourselves. But this is not all. Besides the distinction between the nominal and the real Christian, which results from the impressions produced on them relatively by the eternal duration of heavenly things, there is another grounded on their nature no less marked nor less important. They are stated in Scripture not only as entitling themselves to the notice of true Christian from considerations of interest, but as approving themselves to his judgment from a conviction of their excellence, and yet farther as recommending themselves to his feelings by their being suited to the renewed dispositions of his heart. Indeed, were the case otherwise, did not their qualities correspond with his inclinations, however he might endure them on principles of duty and be coldly conscious of their superior worth, he could not lend himself to them with cordial complacency, much less look to them as the surest source of pleasure. But in this is the light in which they are habitually regarded by the true Christian. He walks in the ways of religion, not by constraint, but willingly. They are not to him only safe, but comfortable. Quote, ways of pleasantness as well as of peace. End quote. Not but that here also he is from experience aware of the necessity of constant support and continual watchfulness. Without these, his old estimate of things is apt to return on him, and the former objects of his affections to resume their influence. With earnest prayers, therefore, for divine help, with jealous circumspection and resolute self-denial, he guards against and abstains from whatever might be likely to darken his enlightened judgment, or to vitiate his reformed taste, thus making it his unwearied endeavor to grow in the knowledge and love of heavenly things, and to obtain a warmer admiration and a more cordial relish of their excellence. That this is a just representation of the habitual judgment and of the leading disposition of true Christians will be abundantly evident if, endeavoring to form ourselves after our proper model, we consult the sacred scripture. But in vain are Christians there represented as having set their affections on things above, as cordially rejoicing in service and delighting in the worship of God. Pleasure and religion are contradictory terms with the bulk of nominal Christians. They may look back indeed on their religious offices with something of a secret satisfaction, and even feel it during the performance of them from the idea of being engaged in the discharge of a duty. But this is altogether different from the pleasure which attends an employment in itself acceptable and grateful to us. The writer must here again guard against being understood to speak of a deficiency in the warmth and vehemence merely of religious affections. Are the service and worship of God pleasant to those persons? It is not asked whether they are delightful. 
do they diffuse over the soul anything of that calm complacency that mild grateful composure which bespeaks a mind in good humour with itself and all around it and engaged in a service suited to its taste and congenial with its feelings let us appeal to that day which is especially devoted to the offices of religion do they joyfully avail themselves of this blessed opportunity of withdrawing from the businesses and cares of life when without being disquieted by any doubt whether they are not neglecting the duties of their proper callings they may be allowed to detach their minds from earthly things that by a fuller knowledge of heavenly objects and a more habitual acquaintance with them their hope may grow more full of immortality is the day cheerfully devoted to those holy exercises for which it was appointed do they indeed quote, come into the courts of god with gladness end quote? and how are they employed when not engaged in the public services of the day are they busied in studying the word of god in meditating on his perfections in tracing his providential dispensations in revolving his mercies above all the transcendent mercies of redeeming love in singing his praises and quote, speaking good of his name end quote? do their secret retirements witness the earnestness of their prayers and warmth of their thanksgivings their diligence and impartiality in the necessary work of self-examination their mindfulness of the benevolent duty of intercession is the kind purpose of the institution of a sabbath answered by them in its being made to their servants and dependents a season of rest and comfort does the instruction of their families or of the more poor and ignorant of their neighbours possess its due share of their time if blessed with talents or with affluence are they sedulously employing a part of this interval of leisure in relieving the indigent and visiting the sick and comforting the sorrowful in forming plans for the good of their fellow creatures in considering how they may promote both the temporal and spiritual benefits of their friends and acquaintance or if theirs be a larger share in devising measures whereby through the divine blessing they may become the honoured instruments of a more extended diffusion of religious truth in the hours of domestic or social intercourse does their conversation manifest the subject of which their hearts are full do their language and demeanour show them to be more than commonly gentle and kind and friendly free from rough and irritating passions surely an entire day should not seem long amidst these various employments it might well be deemed a privilege thus to spend it in the more immediate presence of our heavenly father in the exercises of humble admiration and grateful homage of the benevolent and domestic and social feelings and of all the best affections of our nature prompted by their true motives conversant about their proper objects and directed to their noblest end all sorrows mitigated all cares suspended all fears repressed every anger emotion softened every envious or revengeful or malignant passion expelled and the bosom thus quieted purified enlarged ennobled partaking almost of a measure of the heavenly happiness and become for a while the seat of love and joy and confidence and harmony the nature and uses the proper employments of a christian sabbath have been pointed out more particularly not only because the day will be found when thus employed eminently conducive through the divine blessing to the maintenance of the religious principle in activity and vigour but also because we must all have had occasion often to remark that many persons of the graver and more decent sort seem not seldom to be nearly destitute of religious resources the sunday is with them to say the best of it a heavy day and that larger part of it which is not claimed by the public offices of the church dully draws on in comfortless vacuity or without improvement is trifled away in vain and unprofitable discourse not to speak of those who by their more daring profanation of this sacred season openly violate the laws and insult the religion of their country how little do many seem to enter into the spirit of the institution who are not wholly inattentive to its exterior decorums how glad are they to qualify the rigour of their religious labours how hardly do they plead against being compelled to devote the whole of the day to religion claiming to themselves no small merit for giving up to it a part and purchasing therefore as they hope a right to spend the remainder more agreeably 
how dexterously do they avail themselves of any plausible plea for introducing some weekday employment into the sunday whilst they have not the same propensity to introduce any of the sunday's peculiar employment into the rest of the week how often do they find excuses for taking journeys writing letters balancing accounts or in short doing something which by a little management might probably have been anticipated or which without any material inconvenience might be postponed even business itself is recreation compared with religion and from the drudgery of this sacred rest they fly for relief to their ordinary occupations others again who would consider business as a profanation and who still hold out against the encroachments of the card-table get over much of the day and gladly seek for an innocent resource in the social circle or in family visits where it is not even pretended that the conversation turns on such topics as might render it in any way conducive to religious instruction or improvement their families meanwhile are neglected their servants robbed of christian privileges and their example quoted by others who cannot see that they are themselves less religiously employed while playing an innocent game at cards or relaxing in the concert-room but all these several artifices whatever they may be to unhallow the sunday and to change its character it might almost be said to quote, relax its horrors end quote, prove but too plainly however we may be glad to take refuge in religion when driven to it by the loss of every other comfort and to retain as it were a reversionary interest in an asylum which may receive us when we are forced from the transitory enjoyments of our present state that in itself it wears to us a gloomy and forbidding aspect and not a face of consolation and joy that the worship of god is with us a constrained and not a willing service which we are glad therefore to abridge though we dare not omit it some indeed there are who with concern and grief will confess this to be their uncomfortable and melancholy state who humbly pray and diligently endeavour for an imagination less distracted at devotional seasons for a heart more capable of relishing the excellence of divine things and who carefully guard against whatever has a tendency to chain down their affections to earthly enjoyments let not such be discouraged it is not they whom we are condemning but such as knowing and even acknowledging this to be their case yet proceed in a way directly contrary who scarcely seeming to suspect that anything is wrong with them voluntarily acquiesce in a state of mind which is directly contrary to the positive commands of god which forms a perfect contrast to the representations given us in scripture of the christian character and accords but too faithfully in one leading feature with the character of those who are stated to be the objects of divine displeasure in this life and of divine punishment in the next it is not however only in these essential constituents of a devotional frame that the bulk of nominal christians are defective this they freely declare secretly feeling perhaps some complacency from the frankness of the avowal to be a higher strain of piety than that to which they aspire their forgetfulness also of some of the leading dispositions of christianity is undeniably apparent in their allowed want of the spirit of kindness and meekness and gentleness and patience and long-suffering and above all of that which is the stock on which alone these dispositions can grow and flourish that humility and lowliness of mind in which perhaps more than any other quality may be said to consist the true essence and vital principle of the christian temper these dispositions are not only neglected but even disavowed and exploded and their opposites if not rising to any great height are acknowledged and applauded a just pride a proper and becoming pride are terms which we daily hear from christian lips to possess a high spirit to behave with a proper spirit when used ill by which is meant a quick feeling of injuries and a promptness in resenting them entitles to commendation and a meek-spirited disposition the highest scripture eulogium expresses ideas of disapprobation and contempt vanity and vainglory are suffered without interruption to retain their natural possession of the heart but here a topic opens upon us of such importance and on which so many mistakes are to be found both in the writings of respectable authors and in the commonly prevailing opinions of the world that it may be allowed us to discuss it more at large and for this purpose to treat of it in a separate section and for this purpose to treat of it in a separate section
End of chapter 4, section 2